Welcome back to Celebrate People. It's Betsy Spina, and I'm so happy that you're here. Today, we are going to be joined by one of my favorite people, someone that always inspires me and just helps me to see life in a more beautiful way. We are going to be hanging out with Jamie Monahan. She's someone that just, every time I talk to her, she reminds me what I love about the creative industries, and she has done so many incredible things. She's a female filmmaker. She's an actor, writer, producer, creator, director. She can do everything, and I am truly just so inspired by her. So I'm really excited for you to get to hear from her today. We first met while we were both living in New York City, which if you know me, you know how much I love New York. So I'm so grateful we got to meet there. But we've been really fortunate to get to connect in Los Angeles as well. And actually, at the beginning of 2020, before everything shut down, Jamie and her boyfriend Eric got to fly out to Los Angeles to do the West Coast premiere of Jamie's film Lucid in Hollywood as a part of the Holly Shorts Film Festival, which was so cool. And I felt so grateful to get to go and to see that all live and in person. It was amazing. We're going to be talking about Jamie's film Lucid today, as well as her current projects. And she and her boyfriend, Eric, just did this really cool road trip across America. So we're going to be talking about that as well. So anyways, please enjoy this conversation today. I hope it leaves you feeling inspired. Jamie Monahan, welcome to Celebrate People. I'm so excited to get to celebrate you today. Before we even get started with things, I want to know about this epic road trip that you and Eric just went on where you went all across the country. You did like 15 national parks. Please tell us everything. Yeah, we just kind of on a whim, I'd say people ask us like how long we've been planning this and people on the road asked us that question a lot. And some people guessed like six months or something extreme like that. And, or actually probably really normal. We probably spent a month and a half planning this journey. We went to 15 national parks. We went to 18 States. We basically went from Phoenix, Arizona, all the way up the coast of California and drove all the way back to New York. You're amazing. I feel like (laughs) when you were starting to plan this, I was so excited. And also like part of me was like, this is a lot. Like they're amazing that they're going to do this. How was it for real? Like I'm sure there were moments that were so incredible and probably also moments that were challenging. Tell us about that. Yes. So I had to do a mental mind shift with the idea of it not being a vacation. So at first I was like, oh, this is like a month long vacation. No, it was a month long quest and adventure. So once I changed that in my mind, I was fine. But in the beginning, I was like, this is a lot more work than I realized just with camping and hiking every day. And Eric loves to do very strenuous, hard hikes, which is awesome. But I I felt like I might have died on a couple of those hikes. I would not have survived. And I feel like Mike is the same way that we, I remember when we were on vacation one time, we went on like a seven mile hike, which I think is the longest I've ever walked, hiked, done anything. And when we got back, Mike was like, I'm going to go to the gym now. And I just glared at him. And I was like, who are you? (laughs) I was like, how are you? Fine. I'm dying. Um, So anyways, I think you're so incredible. And what also I think is really amazing is that you were in all different climates too. So you were in like the heat at times and then you were also camping in the snow. What was that like? Well, in Death Valley, it was 98 degrees in the middle of the day and there's no shade. So that was my least favorite part of the trip. I am okay being cold because there's things you can do to warm up, but with heat and that heat, There's nothing you can do. You're just hot. And even our campsite, there's no shade. It's just like (laughs) desert camping. So that was a little rough. But snow camping, I loved snow camping. It was so beautiful. 
we did have a gorgeous day. So that really helped. And we were literally camping on the side of Mount Rainier. That's so And we got to take snowshoes into like through the mountain and like pick out our campsite. So it was really cool experience. And the snow, it wasn't, it really wasn't cold that night. So we were really lucky. Wow. That's amazing. I wouldn't know what to expect. I would think that it would be freezing. So I'm glad it wasn't like that bad, but just also beautiful and cool. I feel like there was one morning that was extremely cold, but it was not somewhere you would expect. I can't remember if it was in Bryce Canyon or it was just one morning that it was just really, really cold. So waking up and like putting on your warm clothes, I just felt like I couldn't get warm warm for a while. But we had a car. So we were mostly car camping with a little bit of backpacking. And that helps because you can jump in the car and put like the seat warmers on and Good. Get warm pretty quickly. That's so good. I feel like you are such a trooper. It looks like you did a lot of backpacking too. So yeah, Yeah. don't discredit yourself with that. (laughs) It was an adventure and just so many cool parts of America that I've never seen before. And that was just truly beautiful. And with Nomadland winning the Oscar, I, well, many of the places in that film we went to. Wow. It's just so beautiful to see America, like all the different landscapes Sometimes um, we would drive from like one extreme to the other within the same day, which was really cool. Wow. We were driving in like a kind of like a beautiful snow on a mountaintop and there's like 10 feet of snow to the right and to the left. And it's like, like flurries coming down. And then within 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, we drove through that mountain pass and we were in prairies. And it was like a desert prairie situation and the weather was like 65 degrees. Wow. It was so cool to like driving really wasn't that bad because in the beginning part, we were seeing beautiful landscape as we were driving. So the driving part was actually beautiful. Wow. That's so cool. And what was your favorite national park that you saw or favorite state you went through? I'm torn. Zion is beautiful. I definitely think that's one of my top favorite. And then my other favorite park that I wish we would have spent more time in is Yosemite. Ooh, okay. Yosemite is just really beautiful. I think what I love is when the mount the yeah, the mountains are really tall on either side and then you get to be in the valley. So Zion is like that where you can do valley hikes and spend time in the valley surrounded by these like massive mountains. And Yosemite is like that too where you have like El Cap and Half Dome. But then you have this like beautiful valley in between these like massive sculptures of land. It's like so pretty. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. I love just hearing about it. And I feel like this is also perfect. You are someone that like adventures so much. You've lived all over the world. You create all of these beautiful films now. I mean, you are a filmmaker, an actor, a singer, a dancer, like creator, producer, director, like you can do all the things, writer. Um, And I just am excited. I feel like just even talking about this trip, you can already feel you're like, the way that you look at life, I feel like you see everything in such a beautiful lens and that all comes through in your art too. So thank you for thank sharing. You. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that fun adventure with us. And I'm so excited for people to get to hear about your career as well. So yeah, just so many exciting things to talk about. Do you want to tell everybody how you got started in performing arts at a young age? Yeah. I am one of those people who knew what I wanted to be when I was five years old. So I decided at five that I wanted to be an actor and I from then started my pursuit of the dream. I got my first 
paid professional gig when I was nine years old. And my mom actually auditioned with me because I was too nervous to audition. (laughs) That's so cute. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, we were, I was auditioning for Annie. And so she came in and I think we sang a song from Sound of Music and they loved us both. So I got cast in the musical as Tessa. Yeah, Tessie, Tessa, Tessie. And my mom was a orphan wrangler for the show. That's so amazing. Your mom is the sweetest human ever. So I just love thinking of the two of you together. That's an amazing story. (laughs) Yes, so... Since nine, I kind of was working professionally from there. I went to another musical. I did Sound of Music. And then my parents decided to move to Japan. And I felt like my acting career was over. And I had a mild meltdown at 11 years old. As you do, of course. As you do, yeah. And then in Japan, I did continue dancing. I ended up working with a Japanese dance company, which was really cool and crazy because they didn't speak any English. Wow. They only said left and right were the only words they spoke in English. So that was, that was an adventure. I cried every day after dance class for a long time, but it was a more challenging dance class than what the Americans were offering. And I wanted to like be a better dancer and level up. So I had to join the Japanese company or I wanted to join the Japanese company And I just cried because I couldn't speak Japanese that fluently. And all of these dancers had been working together, like from childhood, like they've been dancing for years together. So they just had a shorthand for everything and they just worked really well together. But at the end of the season, we do our big show and their big show was for 3000 people, (laughs) a really big show. Oh my gosh. And they had me be one of the lead dancers and a singer in one of the like big, big numbers. And when she gave me the part, she said, we all talked about it and we decided that you've worked so hard and you've improved so much. And we know that it's been a struggle with the language barrier, but we want to give you this like featured role in the show. And I basically looked like a young Britney Spears in the show. (laughs) Jamie, that's amazing. Yeah. So that was a cool experience. Um, I love that. And I feel like I know we were talking about this before we actually got started, but I just love that. Like your story, you have like persevered through so many things and you always just like, I feel like if you hit a wall or you hit, you know, a challenge, you don't just stop there. And so many people are like, well, this is hard. I guess I won't do it. Like you could have gone to dance class. Right. And been like, this is too hard. I don't understand what they're saying. Like, mom, please take me out of this class. You know, and I'm sure yeah. she would your mom. Is and she would have. Yeah. yeah. But you were like, nope, I'm going to figure this out. And then you ended up getting this like starring role. And I just feel like that has happened been so many times throughout your life. And I admire that. So I'm excited for us to like watch that theme throughout this interview today. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. I, I think I like to be surrounded by people who are better than me because I truly believe if you work with people who are at a higher level than you, a higher frequency, or just they're on that next level, you will, by the end of working with them or whatever show or project or class you're doing, you will have to meet them on their level. And so in the dance scenario and in other (laughs) scenarios in my life, I've put myself through difficult situations, but I've always come out on top. And I think that is because I like a good challenge. (laughs) 
I love that. I love that. And I feel like that's a good thing for people to hear too, that it is so good to surround yourself with people that, you know, are super talented and maybe the next level above you. And I think you're right that that helps you to get to that next level too. That's a really cool thing to say. Yeah. Okay. So you're in Japan, you get this leading moment. uh, And then what happens? Um, I did a couple of projects in Japan. I worked on bass in like the community theater. I did theater all through high school. And then I went to college in America and I went for acting and I ended up booking right out of college. I ended up working with Bush Gardens, Virginia. So cool. So I was a dancer there. And then I knew that I wanted to go to New York City right after college or as soon as I had enough money to go to New York City. And I just, as soon as my contract was done at Bush Gardens, I packed up all my stuff and took a U-Haul to New York. I love that. Here I am, New York. Okay. For people that maybe are listening that want to move to New York, I feel like I also went through a similar, like, I'm going to move to New York. What was that process like? Because I think it looks like so beautiful in movies and TV Mm -hmm. shows of like, I'll just pack my bag and show up in New York City. Um, But there are like, there are so many steps in between the dream and when you first get there. So what was that actually like for you? So freshman year in college, I came to New York and did a study, like a semester summer program with New York Film Academy. So that really made me excited to move to New York after college. But I remember when I landed in New York, I was picked up by a taxi driver and he was driving me to my hostel that I was staying at for the whole summer. I was going to stay at a hostel in New York. And he said, you're not here by yourself, are you? You're not coming to New York with like no connections, right? He's like, a girl like you could get really messed up in a city like New York. And I'm like, nope, I have friends here, even though I had no friends. And my family was in Japan at the time. So I was really by myself. Like I knew nothing about riding the trains, although I will say they're very similar to Tokyo transit and trains. So I felt pretty confident with that. But I remember the biggest thing I remember was eating alone for the first time. Mm. Because people in New York eat alone all the time. Totally. Like it's a thing. And I had never eaten alone before because, you know, you don't do that in college. And I don't know, you don't really do that in Japan. And my family was just always around. So I feel like you, at least where I came from, you would look at someone who was eating alone and you'd feel bad for them. So the first time I ate alone, I remember being like, wondering what other people were thinking. And then I was, and then I got used to it and I'm like, Oh, okay. Everyone does this. It's fine. You're so right. I feel like in New York, now that I'm thinking about my time there, I feel like I ate just as many meals by myself as I did with other people, if not like Mm -hmm. more. It can be very empowering. Like taking yourself out to dinner by yourself is like really nice. Yes. If anyone's listening and you haven't done that before, if, as long as you're vaccinated and things are opening up safely, take yourself out. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Sit at the, I feel like it's always fun to sit at the bar and you can like people watch whether you drink or not, but just to to sit there and yeah, keep an eye on everything that's going on. You know, also, I didn't realize that your family didn't move back from Japan um, until later. I didn't, I, for some reason, Mm -hmm. I thought you all kind of moved at the same time. I didn't realize. Yeah. That was a little hard in the beginning because we would have, you know, family, family weekends in college and my family was never there. Wow. And my family has always been super supportive of me in theater and always came to my shows, opening night, you know, flowers, et cetera. But in college, they, 
they couldn't, I don't think they were able to come to a show until my senior year, my senior like show. Wow. So that, that was something to get used to. (laughs) Yeah, of course. That's really tough. Again, just shows how brave you are and just determined to, to do things. So you should be proud of yourself. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So, so now we're in New York and you booked some amazing projects while you were in New York too. Do you want to tell us a little bit about some of those? Well, my very first project I auditioned for was John Tartiglia's Imagine Ocean Off-Broadway. For those of you who don't know who John Tartiglia is, he was the original Princeton in Avenue Q. And I made it to final callbacks. My very first audition in New York. And I thought, that's just going to be what it always is. It's going to be this easy for me. Like, wow, I was so naive. (laughs) It's not that easy ever. (laughs) It's so hard though. I feel like I was saying this to Mike recently that I feel like everyone goes into entertainment knowing it's going to be challenging. But I think like, Mm -hmm. I always kind of thought that, yeah, like if you book one thing, like you'll just book another and it'll just keep going and it'll just keep getting better. And that isn't how it is. But I feel like even now at 35, that's still a harsh reality for me sometimes where I'm like, man, I just thought if I like could get one or two things, like the other things would come. So I I have that same mindset. And I think we kind of have to have that mindset to keep going. Otherwise we'd probably Mm -hmm. all just give up. But anyways, I'm with you. I I would have thought the same thing and still do sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I really did think like, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. And then I had some crazy dance auditions and callbacks and I, I ended up feeling like a lot of the stuff I was auditioning for, or I don't know, it just, I wasn't that excited about things. I, my off Broadway debut, I was cast. I didn't even audition. I was cast because my friend was in the show and they needed a bartender and I was actually bartending at the time. So I didn't, I was, all they needed was someone to be in the background bartending during the play. So cool. (laughs) And so- Yeah, it's cool. It was my off-Broadway debut, but I had no lines and I'm just in the background doing my J-O-B, not being able to do like what I really want to do. Totally. Yeah. You're like, I can do so much more than this. Like, hello. Yeah, that's really Yeah. I did feel like that in like my first few years in New York, I really felt like I wasn't being seen for what I could actually do. And feeling frustrated because I'm like, I have a degree. Like, I am good at this. Please, someone give me a speaking role. Yes. <laughs> Something good to sink your teeth into. And finally, me and my friends decided that we wanted to put on our own show because we were so frustrated and we were all feeling the same. So we directed, produced, all starred in a play off off Broadway. And that's really was the first time that I was ever a producer and the first time I was creating something with my friends. And it just felt so good. Like we were doing good work, something that we were super proud of. We felt really connected to the material. It just felt like that's what I should be doing. If I'm not finding the jobs that inspire me, then I need to create those jobs. Yes. I feel like that's so good for people to hear. So much of this industry, we're like waiting for people to give us a shot and you can create your own opportunities, you know? And I love that you have done that, that you've gone, well, they're not going to give me a role. Like I'm going to make my own role and then they can see how great I am. And then they'll go, oh, oh, we should have used Jamie for this part, you know? Yeah. Cool that you did that. I think it's so important and so empowering because I think we can get stuck as actors or artists always asking, 
we're asking for appointments, we're asking for auditions, we're asking for a manager or an agent, we're asking for so much of the world, you know, asking for people to watch us or support us or like our shows, like all this asking. And when you switch that and you start creating something, now you're changing the energy that you're putting out there and you're giving back. You're giving entertainment, you're giving your friends employment. And if you're able to pay everyone, you're giving people money, you're you're able to give so much more and put out like a, I don't know, like your vibe is just completely changed from when you're in that asking phase. Yes. I love that you said that. I feel like you said it so beautifully and it was like lighting up my heart just hearing all of that. You have such a beautiful soul, Jamie. Thank you. You yes. too, Betsy. No, you're so sweet. Well, tell us more about, so obviously this was your first time getting to produce and, and do all of that. And was that kind of what made you go like, maybe I want to do more TV film things? Is that what led to TV sort film or did that of, come yes. later? Yeah. So I produced that with my friends and I had a really great time. And I realized I wanted to produce more. So I produced a musical off-Broadway at Cherry Lane Theater. And that was really fun and super exciting, way more expensive than off-off-Broadway. I can't and, imagine. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, wow, <laughs> this is a lot of money. But at the end of it, I felt like I didn't really have much to show for it. You know, you can take pictures. You're not really supposed to videotape because it's equity. So I don't really have video footage. I just have pictures from the experience. And then I have, you know, the connections I made, which are incredible. But at the same time, a friend that I admired very much was creating her own content. And she made a feature film with the same budget that I was spending for my off-Broadway musical. Wow. Yeah. And I just watched her career blossom from her feature film because she was able to take that all around to festivals and it really, you know, she was in it and it just really helped her career move forward and her make connections and people could see her acting, which is something that I've been craving is for people to see me, whether it's on stage or on film, but like, yes regularly. <laughs> yes. Well, you're so talented. So I'm, oh, thank keep, you. I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah. Keep going. But yeah, people should be seeing you. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Um, so that really inspired me to get into film and television. And I ended up switching my mindset. My brother actually inspired this because I was so focused on Broadway, making it to Broadway, or, you know, I, I was, I was being so specific about my dreams. And he said, what if you changed it to, I want to be artistically fulfilled? Mm. Like, what would that look like? And once I took his advice, I ended up working on five projects that year. Wow! I was an assistant director, a producer, executive producer. I was a casting assistant, casting director. I got to do so much in one year. And I was not acting really. I didn't really act that year, but I was creating so much stuff and it just, it really was fulfilling and I felt inspired. And that is how I was able to create my own project, Lucid. That's so amazing. Tell us a bit about Lucid, which you have now taken to a bunch of different film festivals. You've won awards. Like you've done so many cool things with this film. Tell us about writing it. First of all, like how long did it take to write Lucid? I... 
I struggle calling myself a writer. I feel like I can say all the hyphens very strongly, but when it comes to saying that I'm a writer, what? I tend to struggle. I know, I know. Yes. I, I, <laughs> no way. Yes, but you know, acting I've been doing since I was a kid and directing I feel like is easy to transition from actor to director because it's a lot of the same vocabulary. And if you're a good actor, you know, I don't know. I just feel like the transition from actor to director is pretty seamless for me anyway. And for some reason, writer is still hard for me to say. I am a writer. That is what I am. But you are, <laughs> and you're so good at it. My goodness. Oh, thank you. Yes. But just in case anyone struggles with saying what you are, know that other people feel the same way. So Lucid took, I want to say I was inspired. I was inspired at Tribeca Film Festival by the virtual reality thing that they do every year. They have like a virtual reality part of the festival. And I was inspired there, but I kind of put things on the back burner to think about them for a really long time. So I think it was like in my mind for six months before I actually decided I was going to do it. And then I decided in January that I wanted to film Lucid and I had a strong idea of what that would look like, but no script. And I set the date to be filmed in July. You're so incredible. That is <laughs> so I just had to like, I had to do it. You know, like I was hiring people and I, you know, had the cast and I had the crew starting to come together and I waited until the last minute to have the fully fleshed out script delivered to everybody, but it worked out. Wow. I feel like there are a few things I want to touch on here. One, so good to hear the note of like, just start. Like you have to just set those goals and start and things yeah. will work out. So I wanted to say that. Also, Lucid is such a beautiful film. It is so well-written, so well-acted. Like every piece of it is just phenomenal and you should feel so proud of that. And it's amazing that you put it together really like so quickly and it looks amazing. I'm excited for you to get to tell people how they can watch it too. Um, Thank you. Is, yeah. Available for people to check out now. I've seen it like three or four times and I'm obsessed. And I feel like I like pick out new little pieces every time that I'm like, Oh, I missed that before. Oh, thank you so much, Betsy. Yes. It's so nice to hear that. And what's interesting about film and TV is like the life that it has, because I, you know, I filmed that I believe in 2018, I was actually trying to look back at when we were filming wow. and it's still doing things and it's, it still has kind of like a life that's happening during COVID. That was one of the things that was the biggest surprise was it was licensed by dust. So that was just a wonderful surprise and also kind of cool timing because nothing else was really going on in the world of entertainment. So I was just thrilled that that happened when it did. So amazing. And I'm just loving hearing all these stories. And I know that it's so encouraging for people to hear just all that you've been through. And again, how you just always kind of like pivot and try the next thing and try the next thing. And it all leads you to, to the next step. And you're so good at everything you do too, Jamie. And you have this incredible business mind, which I just am in awe of. I feel like I, you know, as a creative person, like I love to create, but I do not have that, that business savvy that you have. And I am just so in awe of it. And I feel like it serves you obviously so well so that you know how to pitch your projects and do all that. And you, you've been teaching people how to pitch projects. And I just think you are so, so gifted and I'm inspired by all that you do and how you just continue to pivot 
Are there any pieces of advice you would give maybe for days that people are feeling down and discouraged? Because obviously I know there have been moments like that too, when you're having to take a stop and pivot. Yeah. How would you encourage people to look for the, the next step? Well, touching back on what you said about pivoting in dreams, Ever since I was a kid, I've wanted to win an Academy Award. You like, will. That has been the gold. <laughs> like, I want to win an Academy Award. You will. So one of the things I've thought of recently is what if I didn't win an Academy Award for acting? What if I won an Academy Award for directing or writing? I think sometimes we get so specific with our dreams and what we want them to be that we forget to have flexibility. And if I was like, no, it's only going to be for acting. I can't, I don't want an Academy Award for anything else. Then I would prevent myself probably from having those opportunities that could lead to something that's even greater than I even imagined. Yes. And same thing for when I was younger, my goal was be on Broadway. Like that's what I want to do. That's the ultimate goal. But honestly, I just want to be a successful creator and actor and, I just want to do this as my lifelong career and see what that looks like, which also reminds me of one story I have to share from our road trip. I don't know how many of anyone or you have been to Crazy Horse, but one of the most beautiful things about Crazy Horse is the guy who decided to design the sculpture. He was in his like, I want to say like mid 40s, close to 50s when he decided that he was going to design the sculpture. And he knew that it would be a lifelong commitment. Like this was going to be his life. He also knew that he would never see it completed, which is something mind blowing to me to see all the passion and hard work and art that he put into this sculpture, knowing that it wouldn't be completed was really inspiring to me. And I just, I want to like sit in what that feels like, what that would feel like if we could let go of the need to see something completed or the validation of, because so much I think of what we create right now is based on how people consume it. Mm. And what if we were creating just because we love to create and we, it's something that we're so excited about and we don't care about the end result. That's so good. I needed to hear that today. That's so good. I was so inspired. I just thought that was truly beautiful. And I'm really going to think about what that means for me and the art that I'm creating and also my life. Because if we're truly just on the world to create and we're here to inspire others with our stories and our art, then hopefully that means we can take some of the pressure off of the end result. That's so good. I'm going to be thinking about this all day today. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's so good. And my one tip, because you asked for a tip. So my tip is I like to rehearse my Academy Award acceptance speech in the shower. I love that. And that keeps you encouraged or inspired. Yes. Okay. That's so good. Yes. So if you're having a bad day, think about what you would say if you were winning the best award in whatever your achievements would be. Also, it's really important to visualize yourself already there because so many people are surprised when they get there and you can see this in acceptance speeches and stuff like that. But I think if we can already start imagining like we are at this level, we are at, we could win, you know, an Oscar, a a Tony, whatever it is right now, what would you say? 
And when you think about what you say, I think it really helps solidify why you're here and why you're doing this. This is so good, Jamie. You've given me goosebumps so many times. I'm like getting teared up. I'm loving all of it. (laughs) Thank you for sharing all this. Before we wrap things up, can you tell us about any upcoming projects or anything that you want to tell us about that that's coming up? Well, I am in post-production for a project I shot pre-COVID. This has been the longest post ever, I feel like, but I'm really excited. It's called Legacy and I'll be submitting it to festivals this fall And it's about a group of sorority girls who are vigilantes who kill bad men and eat them to get rid of their bodies. I'd say it's a combination of Dexter meets Legally Blonde. So, okay, so that you're going to be submitting to film festivals coming up soon, right? Yeah. Yes. We'll be submitting it for festivals this year, which means that it will come out in 2022. I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited. It's just interesting, the life of film, because by the time it people are seeing it for the first time. You, the director, have usually seen it a thousand times. Sure. I feel like, again, in entertainment, like you have to have so much patience. I think about this with musicians as well, that like there are songs that they write and work on and they don't become hit singles for like years, you know? I can't imagine. I actually just learned that from your podcast. Oh, I didn't realize that the turnaround time for songs sometimes is a lot longer than you would think. Yeah. I'm such an impatient person, so I'm inspired by all of you. I'm trying to learn to be more patient. But I feel like if I have something that I'm excited about, I'm like, I want to get it out right now. And sometimes you just can't do that. You need to like sit with it and you know let it grow and be whatever it's going to be. And sometimes that takes years. So I admire just your patience and dedication. But I feel like that always pays off in the end too when it turns into something so big and powerful. So I'm excited. Well, I was going to say that was the hard thing, being patient during COVID, because I, I could have finished it during COVID times and released it, but I really wanted to go to festivals in person. I just love the connection. I love meeting other filmmakers. And I just, I felt like that was really important for this project for us to be able to screen in person. And also for all the girls who are a part of this project to get to see themselves in a theater, so important. So for me, that was a tough decision to make to wait. Yeah. Good for you though. I think that that was definitely the right decision to make and to like honor that and yourself to know that and know that's what you needed to do. Thank you. It's always easier to say it than to do it. (laughs) Of course. Of course, man. That's so true for so many things in life. Yes. Well, Jamie, I just love you. I admire you. I think you're so amazing. I'm going to link to all of your work. Are there any specific things that you want to shout out? Obviously dust we talked about so that people can watch lucid. Anything else that we want to shout out specifically? I am actually starting my training to be an intimacy coordinator. And so I would say keep an eye out on where that path goes. SAG and after just like announced new programming for it. And there's lots of really cool stuff happening in the world of intimacy coordinating. And I'm really excited to add that as another multi-hyphenate of all the things I do. (laughs) So incredible. Will you really quickly tell us a little bit about that in case people are, because this is kind of a new thing that's coming out. So yeah, for people that maybe are like, I don't know what that even means. Will you just tell us quickly what an intimacy coordinator does? An intimacy coordinator choreographs intimate scenes for film and television. And an intimacy director does the same thing for stage. So so this is a way to keep it safe and also have it feel 
more safe for the actors. That's really what it's about. And having everyone on set all on the same page. I've definitely been in situations where I've seen a director say, okay, now this is the part where you make out. And <laughs> the actors look at each other on their first day of work and they're like, okay, let's do this. So it's really trying to take out all of that and make it a more comfortable environment for everyone involved. That's great. I, it's crazy to me that that hasn't been a position that's been around for the existence of film, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. It is I, and, crazy. And stage too. But yeah, like you're right. I feel like there are some things, obviously the TV film world is wonderful, but there are things that happen on set that are maybe not appropriate and people get put in situations yeah. that could be handled differently. And so I think it's really great that you are taking this step to help and how much of it is like really choreography and like you have this beautiful dance mm -hmm. background. And I think it's cool that that's all coming together. I'm super excited, especially to see how this moves forward in the future. And as a director and writer, how I can write intimate scenes that have more meaning and purpose, like that's really important to me. Yeah. Why are we having this moment here, this connection and, you know, what, what's the story that we're telling through movement? Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Celebrate People and for allowing us to get to celebrate you today. I just am in awe of all the things that you can do and just your beautiful heart and spirit. So I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Betsy. I'm truly honored to be one of your guests. I just, when you said that you were doing this, I just totally felt like this is you. You have been celebrating people from the beginning. So this just really feels so in line with who you are. And I'm just so lucky to be your friend. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. I feel exactly the same way about you. You are like walking sunshine. So it's wonderful to get to see you. And I feel so lucky to have you in my life too. Yay. Yay. Well, thank you again to Jamie Monahan for being on Celebrate People. Isn't she such a ray of light? I just love getting to talk with her. And I know I said this at the beginning, but she's someone that just helps me to see life in a more beautiful way. So I hope that she did that for you today, too. I'm sure she did. And I just hope that you take some time to look around and look at all the blessings in your life. And if you had a challenging year this past year, like so many of us did, I hope you're able to, again, like keep looking for the good and to maybe find ways to pivot and to try new things and to remember that the possibilities are just endless and you can truly do anything. Anything. So thank you again for hanging out on Celebrate People today. Like I said, I will link to all things Jamie Monahan so you can keep up with her. And I just hope you have a great day. And I'll talk to you next time on Celebrate People. Redemption. I